Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the So We Speak podcast. This is Colfax, and I'm here with a couple that I literally have been trying to get on this podcast for years now, probably more my fault than theirs. But uh, I've got Zach Shimmer and Chelsea Bunch, two of my good friends, and uh, Zach, especially a guy that I've learned a ton from, spent a lot of time with, somebody I really respect and look up to. And uh, somebody that I can't wait for you to get to hear his story. And obviously, Chelsea, I'm really excited for them to get to hear your story as well. So Zach is, uh, in addition to being my friend, he is on staff with a ministry called Hope is Alive. He's the regional program director and uh, has been involved in starting a lot of their new projects and now is in Kansas City uh, pioneering some new ministry opportunities up there. Chelsea's also worked for the ministry and they are recently engaged. And uh, I'm really excited for you guys to get to share your stories on the podcast today. So thanks for taking the time. Yeah, man. It's a, it's a pleasure to be on here with you. And uh, I've been following the So We Speak podcast, you know, since its inception, really. And uh, it's kind of been, as I've moved to different cities than you, it's kind of been a way that you've uh, been discipling me from a distance, man. So it's, it's been a, a pleasure to hear these uh, podcasts. And it's a pleasure to be on this one, man. Yes, thank you so much for having us on here. So, Zach, I want to start out a little bit with your story, uh, talking about uh, how you came to know Christ and uh, the ways that he drew you to himself. Yeah, man, absolutely. Um, So my, you know, a lot of similarities um, from my story to other people's and a lot of differences as well. Uh, You know, so I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and from the outside looking in, Uh, We had a normal run-of-the-mill family. Um, The kind of the reality behind closed doors was a little different. Uh, We were really good at keeping up appearances, if you will. Uh, So I went to a private Christian school in Tulsa called Metro Christian Academy. And we went to church on on Sundays and kind of had that surface level, let's appear good, let's appear faithful, let's appear Christian uh, sort of uh, appearance that we kept up. Um, but like I said, the reality behind closed doors was way, way different. Uh, you see, my dad, he uh, he grew up with alcoholism in his family. He's uh, struggled with alcoholism for years, generations before him, alcoholic and addicted. And so growing up with that father figure struggling with alcoholism, I was always kind of searching for that father figure. And uh, early on, I found that in my grandfather, my Papa Joe. Uh, he taught me, you know, how to play basketball. He taught me uh, how to golf. He taught me how to show others unconditional love. And I know today, you know, that 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 was the love of the Lord that he was teaching me. Um, Kind of a big pivotal moment in my journey uh, was when I was nine years old, my my grandpa, Papa Joe, he passed away from leukemia. And I can remember uh, my mom coming home from the hospital and her telling me that Papa Joe had passed away. And I can remember being just so upset, so broken, uh, so hurt. And I ran upstairs um, and I I had this little trophy that he'd given me from a little one-on-one basketball game that he obviously let me win. And I can remember grabbing that trophy and just smashing it into the floor um, because I was so upset. And I I remember that, that moment super duper vividly. And I think that that was a pivotal moment that began to, to lead me away from what I've been taught about God, what ta- taught about the Lord. And I, I began ultimately to live for this world in that moment, I think. Um, I, uh, 
you know, spent the next uh, few years just kind of wandering, trying to, to fit in with the cool crowd at school. Um, and really, I just threw myself um, wholeheartedly into sports, into basketball mainly. And so I would come home from school and as a form of like escape, I would, I, I would play basketball in the backyard from like 3 p.m. until dark. And I did that every single day. And, you know, you could almost say that I was, you know, playing sports addictively, if you will. And this was, you know, elementary school, middle school. Um, so middle school is kind of, you know, where I began to really uh, act out in school, if you will, and just began to, uh, you know, live for fitting in in school. Um, took my first drink at the age of 13 and smoked weed for the first time at the age of 13. And again, it was a trying to fit in sort of thing for me. Um, trying to fill a void within that I had. Um, was still able to maintain good enough grades throughout high school to stay eligible on the basketball team and to keep uh, my mom off my back. Um, but while I was beginning to experiment with alcohol and drugs, my dad's alcoholism was progressing rapidly. Um, he got several DUIs um, in, through my middle school and high school years. And um, just that relationship with my mom uh, began to be more and more distant. And that ultimately um, coincided with the progression of, of my addiction as I began to experiment with harder and harder drugs throughout high school. Um, ultimately, I, I, I went to college at Oklahoma State University. Go Pokes. I know you're a Poke. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's really... Um, where everything got pretty wild, pretty dark. Um, that downward spiral really accelerated when I went there. Um, I thought that I was emotionally separate from a lot of what was going on uh, back in Tulsa with my folks. Um, my dad went to treatment for the first time right when I went off to college. And to make a long story short, he ultimately, uh, my parents got divorced right around then as well. And uh, you know, like I said, I thought I was emotionally separate from that. And so I began to um, really just live a party lifestyle and drugs began to take a hold of my life. Um, it was when I was at Oklahoma State, pretty much it was party drugs, if you will. It was drinking every weekend. It was smoking weed and it was, um, you know, taking prescription Adderall. Um, this all kind of came to a head in uh, December 2012. I got in trouble. Um, at Oklahoma State, got into some legal trouble and uh, forced to uh, be suspended from school for a year. And so I moved back to Tulsa and moved in with my dad, who at that point in time, he was sober and I was very much not sober. So as you might imagine, there was a lot of friction there. Um, and so with that, you know, it was a lot of distance between us, a lot of struggles for us. Um, and we grew further and further apart in that time. Um, any semblance of a relationship that we'd had up until that point was completely fractured and gone. Uh, when I moved back to Tulsa, I is when I found prescription painkillers and opiates. That's really what brought me to my knees. You know, I began um, with Loratabs and then progressed to oxycodone, and then you know eventually you know progressed past that as well. Um, so if I had to describe those next three years to you it would just be complete and utter darkness um you know, don't remember a whole lot from those three years but it was just complete darkness there was um yeah just had no relationship with the lord had no no solid friends had 
Um, I was undependable. Um, you know, it was just a dark, dark time in my life. Um, it, it all came to a head in January of 2015. My uh, dad, my grandmother, and my little sister showed up at the townhouse I was living in out north in Tulsa. And uh, my dad, he, he came in. He's like, look, if you don't come with me to get help, I'm going to call the police on you. And that wasn't what I needed to hear. I was like, nope, not doing it. I'm fine. I got this under control. I can do this on my own. Um, but ultimately, my, my moment of surrender, my moment of realizing that I needed some radical life change happened that very same day, just a few minutes later, uh, talking to my little sister, tears streaming down her face, her looking me in the eyes and telling me two things. She told me, one, she says, I love you. And two, she said, I don't want to see my older brother die. And it was in that moment that I was like, okay, I give up, I surrender. What do I need to do? I'll do anything, you know? I know and, and in hindsight, I know that that was, you know, the Lord using my sister to speak to me. And it was a real instrumental moment in, in my, my story. Um, so I went directly from that moment to a state-funded detox facility in Oklahoma City called TRC. And then I went into a 90-day, all-male, faith-based treatment facility called Rob's Ranch in Purcell, Oklahoma. And that very first Sunday at, at treatment, uh, I, you know, rededicated my life to the Lord. And it was uh, kind of, that, that's kind of when that process of radical life change began in my life. And uh, nothing's been the same since that very first Sunday um, at, when I was in treatment. You know, it was just the, absolutely the best decision I could have made. And so went through uh, the treatment program at Rob's Ranch. And while there is where I heard about Hope is Alive, uh, Lance Lang, our executive director and founder, and the original five guys were coming out there and uh, just presenting on Hope is Alive. And I saw these guys and, you know, they were in their early to mid twenties, like I was, they were, uh, you know, seemed like they were uh, similar to me and th- what, what really struck me is they were having a lot of fun. And I was like, man, I want what these guys have. You know, I want to be clean and sober and I want to be able to have fun doing it. So I went up to Lance and I was like, hey, man, uh, love your program. Would love to be a part of it. Um, he went on to explain to me that at that time they were full. Um, we, you know, Hope is Alive was very small back then in 2015. He explained to me that they're full and that, you know, he'd keep me keep, keep in touch with me and let me know if a bed opened up. So by the time I was transitioning from treatment was 2015 of April of 2015 and uh, Hope is Alive opens their third men's home. So I was able to transition directly from Rob's Ranch into Hope is Alive and was one of the first residents in the third Hope is Alive men's home in Oklahoma City. And I'll never forget that very first uh, Sunday night meeting at Hope is Alive. You know, we went through the meeting and Lance pulled me aside afterwards and, you know, we were kind of chatting it up and he's like, man, buckle up. He's like, if you really give yourself to this program, if you really trust in God and trust his will for your life, then your life's going to radically change. And, you know, for the first time when somebody spoke life and truth over me, I believed them. And I was like, hey, this is really possible. You know, and what, what was so cool about that conversation and what I quickly found out about Hope is Alive is it's, it's about so much more than just uh, not drinking or using drugs. You know, it's truly uh, living life to the fullest. It's living that next level radically changed life. Um, you know, because 
a life just without alcohol and drugs that, that, you know, and, and no joy, that's pretty glum. You know, I, I needed the joy that can only be found in the Lord. And so I went through the program as a resident and, um, I can remember early on just feeling God put it on my heart, feeling that call uh, that I was to work with men and women uh, coming out of addiction, that I was going to work for Hope is Alive. And like I said earlier, we were pretty small at the time. And um, I can just remember talking to God and being like, okay, God, I hear you. I hear you. I feel you putting this on my heart. If this is of you, open the door and I will walk through it, you know? And I, I didn't see a way that that door would open. You know, we had staff members staffing our, our three homes. And uh, lo and behold, a couple months later, I'm sitting at a restaurant with Lance and um, Allie. And Allie's Lance's wife, and she uh, oversees the program. But I was sitting there uh, with them, and they asked me to come on staff. And uh, I was overseeing a few of the Oklahoma City men's homes. Um, that was in June of 2016. Uh, when kind of that journey of ministry began in my life. And so I, I went through that that there and uh, was doing that for a couple years in Oklahoma City. And, uh, you know, when while in Oklahoma City, um, working for Hope is Lives when I met you, man. And uh, yeah, just go, from going to Crossings Community Church, we uh, got to know each other there. And you kind of took me under your wing and started discipling me. And uh, I was just sharing this with a guy up here um, this past week, just how instrumental uh, you were, Cole, in, in my journey, um, just uh, believing in me, um, just sharing a lot of your knowledge, a lot of your wisdom with me. Um, you taught me so much, and I believe it was a game changer for me and how I lead the men of hope is alive. Um, you taught me like what it means to be a disciple and what it means to disciple others. And so from from that that season of my life onward, it's completely changed the game for how I do things. I hope is alive. And I believe it's a, a lot of the reason why I've had a little bit of success um, in working for hope is alive and working with men uh, coming out of addiction. Um, so, yeah. I uh, in 2018 now, I, uh, you know, felt that call on my heart again, felt God calling me again and uh you know, I was like, okay, God, I hear you. He was calling me to Wichita, Kansas. And that was to be the first Hope is Alive home planted outside of the state of Oklahoma. And uh, I was nervous this time. You know, it was, I, I wrestled with God on this one big time. And, uh, you know, went, try, looked down into a few different avenues and was trying to find every reason in the books for why I shouldn't do this, why I shouldn't listen to God here. And ultimately, I ended up in Wichita in October of 18. And interestingly enough, Chelsea and I um, started dating not long after that. And we did this whole long distance relationship thing for a long, long time while I was in Wichita. And uh, yeah, so Wichita was a whole nother journey in and of itself. And uh, so got built that helped build that foundation there in Wichita. I had a couple of awesome dudes with me there. And just really helped me to build the ministry there. And, um, you know, it, it really tested my relationship with the Lord. You know, it showed me that I was going to, you know, being almost isolated in a lot of respects. Um, I needed to really um, trust in the Lord with everything and really lean into my relationship there and really trust him to provide the resources 
and to provide the residents and to provide um, just uh, the way through uh, as we built this new Hope is Alive market. And ultimately he provided, um, the Wichita market is thriving now. And again, um, uh, getting up to 2020, I uh, felt the Lord calling again, you know, and he, uh, through uh, conversations with Lance and Allie, we talked about Kansas City and helping to open Hope is Alive up there. And uh, one of the first things I said to them when we uh, talked about that opportunity was like, okay, that's great. I love this opportunity. I hear you. Um, but my girlfriend has to, you know, be able to move up there um, really soon after I'm up there. You know, that's too long of a distance to do. Um, and so through a lot of conversations through the uh, middle of the COVID pandemic, we ended up launching a Hope is Live market in Kansas City. And we opened that home on August 7th of 2020. And it's been quite the journey, man. Um, so we're up here now. Um, you know, Chelsea's got her own place and I'm living at the HI house. And it's a really, really cool deal. And one thing, man, that uh, I was telling you, I don't know, last week, that's really cool about this journey is I was actually born here in Kansas City, right? And, you know, this is where a lot of the darkness for my dad and mom started, right? That's where this is where my dad's alcoholism really began progressing, um, where a lot of the friction, a lot of the issues in their marriage began. And what's so cool is that I feel like God's bringing everything full circle and in a really tangible way given Chelsea and I the, the chance to um, start our marriage um, on a solid foundation with the Lord at the center and in a real tangible way to break those generational chains that have been uh, holding back my family and hers for decades and decades upon decades. And so it's that's probably what gets me the most excited about being up here and about what the Lord's doing um, is that, you know, just the restoration that's taken place and one other little sidebar that I forgot to mention, two years ago, um, my dad actually found sobriety again. So he'd gone through a few relapses, uh, a few dark times in his journey. And because of what I've, the resources I found at Hope is Alive, I've been able to uh, point him in the right direction. And so he's now a resident in our Tulsa home and he's slated to graduate in January of next year. And uh, he's actually working for us now, too. He started right at the beginning of the corona quarantine. He started working for us. And so I get to hang out with him on Zoom calls every week. I just talked to him on the phone earlier today. And today we have the strongest relationship we've ever had. You know, and it took me uh, finding a solid relationship with my heavenly father in order for the relationship with my earthly father to really begin to grow and flourish. And so I'm very passionate about Hope is Alive. Um, I've had a real cool, interesting journey, I feel like. And I'm so passionate about Hope is Alive because I've seen God restore so much. Um, I've seen that 2 Corinthians 5.17 come true in my life. I've seen myself become a new creation. I've seen my dad become a new creation. I've seen countless men and women in the Hope is Alive homes become new creations. And uh, that's my passion today is to help people find that new way of life, to find that freedom and to let see those chains break in their families. And so, yeah, man, that's really kind of my story in a nutshell, I guess, and maybe not a nutshell, but um, I'm, re I'm really excited to see what God's going to continue to do and just what the next 
five years will look like because it's been five and a half years since I first got clean and sober. So thanks for letting me share my story, man. Yeah, of course, dude. I mean, every time I hear your story, it's something that I don't just marvel at God's work in your own life. I think about, you know, when I listen to your story, it makes me thankful for God's work in my own life. It makes me want to pursue Christ more in my own life. It's one of those stories that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it says in 2 Corinthians that the comfort we've been given has been given to us to comfort other people. And I feel that in your story uh, as you tell it, but I've also seen it in the way that you've ministered to other guys and uh, the way that you do ministry at Hope is Alive. I want to I go to two moments of your story yeah. and, and talk a little bit about what God was doing there, because I think regardless of whether you have the same stuff in your story, everyone has a similar story of repentance of turning, of persevering, of faltering. You know, I mean, we all have these same trends. We all deal with different things, but but there are some similarities to the way that God brings us to himself. And two of the moments I just think are so inspiring and so interesting about your story is, is, is first, having that Christian background. So having gone to a Christian school, but but not living as a Christian, God continued to work in your heart. He continued to do things through your family members, through friends, uh, even in you that you wouldn't necessarily have known because you weren't thinking about God. Right, and, you right. know, sometimes he's in the background. Uh, you know, I think we can all, all think of if, if you were a little bit older, when you became a Christian, you can think of those moments where you are thinking about God, even if you're not sure you really believe in God. And uh, I just think of the moments in your story after Oklahoma State, back in Tulsa, life is falling apart. Um, like you said, being in utter darkness, just walking in darkness, having your family reach out to you, and that moment with your sister talking to her, and the the power of having people that care about you yeah. is, in some ways, the way that God works in our stories sometimes. So the thing I wanted to point to and, and ask about, though, is what was it about that moment that something either changed or that's, it's not just that moment, but that, that season of your life where you went from, cause it's not like you didn't know you were making bad decisions, mm-hmm. but there was something that changed where you finally decided I need to do something different. I need to go to treatment. I need to humble myself. I need to admit that I can't, you know, I can't manage this anymore. What was it spiritually in your family, in your life, that helped you turn the corner when you did? Mm. Yeah, man, that's a good question. So the way I would put it, it all began in that moment with my sister. Um, And a couple things that stuck out to me that she said that still stick with me today um, was, you know, well, I guess not even things she said, but one, just it was the first time I think, and I don't know how long that I'd looked somebody in the eyes, right? Hmm. So I looked her in the eyes and I saw like these just genuine tears of brokenness streaming down her face. And I'm like, oh my goodness, the, the decisions I'm making, the lifestyle I'm leading, they're playing a huge part in her hurt and brokenness. And I just felt, you know, yeah, I felt a lot of shame, but I felt a lot of like, oh my goodness, somebody cares, you know? And, and the, yeah, granted there were, I'm sure there a lot of my family cared, but I didn't feel it, didn't know it for sure until that moment. And then her telling me that she loved me, Mm. you know, 
I'm sure my mom, my grandma, my dad had told me they loved me countless times, right? But that was the first time I'd really, in my addiction, that I'd really heard somebody say it, right? Mm -hmm. And then her telling me that she didn't want to see her older brother die, it was this feeling of like, oh my goodness, I'm worth it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think it was so much brokenness that I was hiding behind, so much shame that I was hiding behind, you know, that that was the first time I felt like it's, it's okay to step out of that. And uh, that, so that was kind of the catalyst that propelled me into um, surrender. Um, I, I kind of look at surrender, uh, surrender to the Lord as kind of a three part thing. Surrender. I tell people surrender is a moment. Um, surrender is a process. It's a lifelong ongoing day-to-day process. And then lastly, surrender needs somebody to help, mm. you know? And so those three components are, are all things I needed in order to um, just take this journey of walking with Christ and uh, to take this journey of walking with other broken people. And so that's kind of how I would sum it up there. Yeah. I want to come back to this after we hear Chelsea's story here in a little bit, because I think both of you guys have a really strong theme of what God has done to reverse the course of the direction of your family or the direction Mm -hmm. of your heritage and the way that you put it, breaking, you know, generational chains or generational sin. Um, but the other thing that just strikes me when you talk about that is when you were saying, you know, that you heard and you knew that somebody loved you in that moment. And, you know, to so many people probably on the outside of that, they're like, are you kidding? We had told you that a hundred times, you know, we had, but that's kind of the point is that it needed to be that hundred and first time, or it needed to be in that moment. It needed to come from that person. And uh, just the role that that moment plays in your story, that could have been just another one in the series of moments that didn't change the story. I mean, we Mm -hmm. don't know when God is going to use something like that. And it just makes you think like how thankful we are that your sister stepped out because that's a vulnerable thing for her to say. And uh, something where she's putting herself on the line, both the pain that she'd experienced, um, the discouragement that she had felt, but persisted. And uh, one of the things that's so cool about the ministry that you do now and about your own story is that persistence matters. Yeah. And not writing people off matters. And that's easy to do, not just out of frustration, but out of self-preservation. You know, where you're just like, I can't, I just can't even um, put myself in that situation again. And I think there's wise ways to do that sometimes, but I'm just struck by the moment that actually got through. Uh, with mm-hmm. your sister and the moment that God chose to use to change the course of your life. Uh, the other point of your story I wanted to zero in on is moving from being a resident at Hope is Alive into working for Hope is Alive. And, 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 and it's, the, it's the transition that every person has to make from being uh, a person who's predominantly receiving. You're going to church, yeah. you're being taught, you're being discipled, you're in a group to starting to serve and starting to lead and starting to disciple and starting to teach and starting to pour into the lives of other people. And for some people that happens almost immediately. And for some people, that's really something that is scary and uncomfortable and you don't feel worthy to do that. What was it like to go from being in the program to being one of the leaders of the program? Both, I think vocationally, that's really interesting. And I think spiritually, that's really interesting Mm -hmm. to step up into a a category of leadership like that. Yeah, man, it was, uh, 
definitely a process. I think one thing that's really cool about Hope is Alive is we do have a pretty um, solid on-ramp into leadership, um, into working vocationally for Hope is Alive, into stepping into some of those leadership roles. Um, so there's there's a time for just strictly being a resident and just being a consumer, if you will. Um, but as I progressed through the program, um, the, the leadership above me began to uh, give me responsibility and delegate tasks and stuff like that. And maybe it started with, hey, hey, Zach, you're in charge of chores this Sunday, you know, make sure that everybody's handling their chores. And then maybe it was, hey, you know, you're in charge of, you know, administering your analysis, you know, and it just the, these smaller things that, that I began to be given um, as tasks, as responsibilities, um, until eventually I'm sitting there you know, at being asked to come on staff. So there was a kind of a time that I had to prove myself before um, being ready to take on that role. Um, mm-hmm. But it's a huge shift, you know, think about thinking about the people that you're journeying with the other residents, and then they, they see you as a peer, and then you're um, thrust into this leadership position um, over them. It was an interesting uh, kind of shift in the dynamic of the house. And, uh, you know, one thing that's uh, wasn't exactly your question, but it was super interesting for me to learn um, was to lead men older than me. You know, when I first started working for Hope is Alive, I was, you know, 23, 24 years old. And, uh, you know, Hope is Alive has everybody from mid 20s to mid 50s in our homes and, and up, you know. And so um, that was something I had to learn how to do. But I think it's just been a pretty cool um, journey as far as that goes. Um, and I think that um, one thing that, that others could take from that is just having a really solid on-ramp into um, being a giver and not just being a consumer and not being a, you know, gimme, 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 but a, hey, how can I serve you? How can I serve the local church sort of thing? Yeah. Two of the things that I've seen in your life is we've, uh, talked about that transition, but also just as we've um, prayed together and for each other and studied the Bible together is there is a lot of power in that kind of transition, whether it's as structured as it is at Hope is Alive or or not. I think in in any Christian life, you have to be able to move incrementally like that. And a lot of it comes through answering the call of God. I mean, I think in your story, you talk about how you, you knew that God was calling you to something that you were really unsure about. You didn't really see a way that it was going to happen, but you surrendered yourself to be ready for it. And one of the ways that God did that was by just inching along kind of one step at a time to where um, all of a sudden it wasn't just that you took a leadership position. I think this is the way it happens a lot of times in the church. It wasn't just that you took a leadership position. It's that you already found yourself leading. And uh, that was recognized then mm. with a, a more formal move into uh, a, a vocation. And I think for a lot of us, it's that way. It's serve where you are. Trust that where God is calling you, he's going to equip you, even if it's one little step at a time. I mean, you know, the, the things that, that uh, nobody wants to do in a ministry or in a church are sometimes the things that are most important for people who want to lead yeah. um, because they're the things that really matter. Yeah, man. And to to that point, one thing that you did for me, um, just in in the context of the local church, 
was you really empowered me and you really gave me a lot of opportunities um, to serve at the church you're working at back then. Um, you know, I'd never taught a Sunday school class. I'd never preached a sermon until you gave me that opportunity. And I, you know, I had no idea what I was doing, but you coached me the whole way through. And one thing that you told me was like, hey, it's about getting those reps. And that's been instrumental in uh, the work that I'm doing at Hope is Alive, man. And, you know, I just knew that I trusted you and that, you know, I felt that you had a lot of wisdom and a lot of knowledge. And I was to my, in, in my head, I'm like, all right, I'll follow this guy wherever, you know. So if this is what he thinks I should do, I'll do it. <laughs> well, you probably make it sound a little better than it is because, you know, in, in my spot, I've wanted good teachers wherever I could find them. I come listen to your testimony. It's amazing. You're a good speaker, passionate. I, love, I know that you love the Lord. And then I ask you, have you, can you teach? And I'm like, no, I can't teach. Definitely can't teach. I'm like, you just did. You just did. You just shared this, your testimony in front of this group. You're a great speaker. And it, it really is just a matter of, you know, following where God is leading. He clearly had equipped you. He clearly was doing that in your heart, drawing you toward that in your heart. And then there was an opportunity. And that's how calling happens. Uh, and so it, it, you make it sound like it was some big thing to me. It was like, okay, this is obvious. Am I the only one seeing this? Because you should definitely be teaching. And, uh, you know, God, God uses everybody. And that's one of the things too, is we tend to focus on giftedness in the way that the world sees giftedness. But one of the recurring themes, I think that we're, we're coming up against in this story is God will figure that out. Mm-hmm. If you're faithful um, that doesn't mean that some people are not better suited for for things than others, but but God will provide, and all we have to do is surrender and trust Him in those roles and just see where He where He takes us. And I, He's certainly done that uh, in you as a leader and as as a teacher. Thanks for listening to the So We Speak podcast. If you like what you hear, go ahead and leave a comment, leave a review, email us, tell us what you like about it, tell us what you'd improve about it. Thanks to all you guys who are listening, and we'll see you next week on the So We Speak podcast.